mountaintop Burning like a silver flame The summit of beauty and love Andrea is her name She's got us Yeah baby, she's got us I am Andrea I'm your fire with your desire Welcome back. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm really excited to share this interview with Jane. Jane is an alien, a new earthling, and a multidimensional being. And I am so excited to have them on the show. Uh, Jane really identifies as we, but is fluid about the pronoun thing and doesn't care so much. But I am making the effort for, um, you know, trans people especially that it is important for and binary and all the other other things that count because we all count so enjoy this interview uh there is a small section in there like about 45 seconds that it was really weird i've never had this happen it's like we're both just missing from the recording and i don't think what was said was like some secret the guides didn't want us to share <laughs> the aliens or us didn't want us to share but um, I believe it was the point at which uh, Jane clarified that by foolish choice uh, they meant the fool card in the tarot meaning you know beginning a journey in a childlike way with curiosity and um, naivete so without further delay enjoy this first half of my talk with Jane there will be a second part coming out in a few days, and I'm so excited uh, to see what you all think. Do please share this with others if you like it. Thank you for your emails and your comments and your follows of the podcast and your downloads and listens. I really appreciate it. Uh, you know, we're doing this. Anybody who does podcasts or does anything like that is not just doing it because we like to hear ourselves talk. Well, maybe some people do, but not usually if they're um, trying to be in some sort of service to humanity. So, uh, thank you. I appreciate that. So, if you could share it with others, follow me on Instagram and Facebook and all those fun pages. Um, I'm always giving away a free reading at different numbers of followers, so that's kind of fun. And I post readings. I will probably have a galactic groove for the week up in the next day or two also um i'm just on fire lately and i can't shut myself up so i figure i should strike while the iron is hot because who knows what's gonna come next you know here's jane welcome back Grooving Galactic Beings. I'm Andrea Land, your grooving goddess and muse. I am so excited about my guest today, Jane. Uh, Jane uses we as an identifier rather than they, them, because uh, they're very uh, connected with unity consciousness. And we just had a little pre-conversation before we got on here about how we both get messages in we form and then feel a little uncomfortable about uh, being the royal we. <laughs> <laughs> here on Earth. <laughs> but uh welcome Jane. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. I was really drawn to you in our uh soberish group where we met by your origin story. Um I know you're working on a website and project where you're writing mythology for the new age. And it's so interesting to me that I just found that out now from you because like I said, I was really attracted to your personal origin story and just real brief the part that you know got me so interested was the idea that um you are here visiting earth for the first time like you signed up for the most 
extreme earth vacation mm. <laughs> probably could sign up for. So that was why I invited you on here because I thought other people will be very interested and fascinated by that too, especially, you know, some of us who have been doing this earth thing over and over and over sure. again for a long sure. time. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's a little more nuanced than that, but mm -hmm. I'm, be, I'm happy to get into it. And yeah, it's in recent months, I think I've been really realizing the, the ways in which that's unusual as I've been connecting at a deeper level with friends who are very clear that they have been here for a long, long time. And I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, well, I got here in 1904. <laughs> <laughs> and this is my this is my third lifetime on earth. Um yeah, so I have been here. I came here before um this shift to kind of get used to a human body and how to mm -hmm. run around in a human body. Um and all of those lifetimes, though I don't have specific memories in a linear sense of the previous lifetimes uh, as a human on Earth, I feel very clear that I have been here since 1904. Um, and previous to then, I, I have been on Earth, but I have been here in non-human form. And my sentience is here as um, swaths of Earth, particularly stone. Um, and also as the wind, I'm here elementally and interact with myself in human form as the elementals that I exist in on this planet. So I've wow. been here in consciousness observing what's been going on, which was my cue to embody in human form and come mm -hmm. through, you know, and pay attention while I've also been off doing other things. Um, so my coming to realize this kind of uh, unlike yourself i loved listening to your origin story and finding that friend when you were young oh mm -hmm. so sweet that you could connect to and have that clarity and be able to play with ideas that were so real for you um and really breathe life into those and hold each other in stepping into that reality is so cool um yeah i i feel very fortunate to have had that um i'm glad that it that it touched you that way because that's really how it felt and i know how special that is <clears throat> it's really a gift yeah i was grinning pretty goofily listening to that <laughs> oh how nice thank you that's wonderful to hear yeah and i love that you're still friends with that person too it's very sweet very cool. Um, well, that is just fascinating. I'm my I'm I'm gonna just let you talk and talk, but I just wanted to interject that the the part about being the wind and being uh, rock formations and that that resonates so loudly, and it's um, not something that I've heard really discussed before, and I just had this feeling that you had insight into these things that other people really need to hear because um, there, there's probably other people out there who maybe have some similar experience but have not had any exposure to it or anybody else to talk to about it, you know. Welcome back, Jane, uh, <laughs> listeners, <laughs> so that you can we kind of had a little um, technical glitch there, and um, I'm just all goosebumpy. I was just telling Jane that I asked our uh, cosmic uh, supervisors or bosses <laughs> to kind of help us secure this connection with all this Mars retro and the Mercury retro shadow energy coming. And um, I've actually been sitting here with a giant rose quartz in my lap because I had a feeling that um, you know, two galactic beings, uh, talking about some important things <laughs> would resonate mm -hmm. and might create a little bit of, um, <clears throat> imbalance in the, the field of communication. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
so here we are and where we left off i was just talking about how uh the concept of um existing you know being on the planet but as elementals that is such an amazing um revelation and i have a feeling that the your experience of that will um give other people who have maybe kind of had those thoughts but haven't really seen or heard much about it um a little clue for themselves on their own path um so that is just so fascinating so you've been here as a human a few times since 1904 and um just tell me more. I am fascinated. When, when in this life did you, uh, you know, gain awareness of this experience? Yeah, uh, that's been a gradual stitching together for sure. Um, since I was very young, though, I knew I was waiting for something. Um, and, you know, it's interesting looking back at your life and seeing where your attention was drawn, you know, hindsight being 2020 and Mm -hmm. seeing where your attention was drawn and then putting together, putting those things together in new ways with a fuller picture. And um, that's actually where the the revelation about the stone came from. Um, And I'll go into that in a minute, but when I was young, I was terrified of viruses. And wow, I went through this phase where like, it, it was becoming paralyzing. And so I realized somehow that the antidote to that was to love them. So I learned everything I could about them. And then for a period of time, I was like, I'm going to work for the CDC. I'm going to go to hot zones and put together these things and work with these viruses because they're amazing and they're fascinating and they're, they're so powerful and they're invisible. And I think that was kind of my initiation into playing with invisible things. But in mm-hmm. a way, you know, that was the thread in through 3D reality. And um I just remember really feeling clear about pandemics for some reason. And Mm -hmm. I never really, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't so much a feeling that it was going to happen in my lifetime, but I was clear that I had an affinity with that energy. There was a kinship there. And, um, Yeah. So I kind of laid that down and then, and so I was raised Lutheran and Mm -hmm. in that system, it didn't really work for me. You know, I loved the community, but there was so much that didn't make sense. Um, Right. I can imagine. Yeah. My family was very involved in the church. um, And I loved the energy and the stories of Jesus, that love, that, that unconditional acceptance of other people. I loved that, but because we were so involved, I kind of got to see how things got made and the, the dynamics between people kind of offstage and (laughs) that contrast was really difficult for me to digest. And I didn't have anyone that I could ask about it. Um, so that kind of started turning the wheels in a different direction. And when I turned, um, 18, I stopped going to church and having no other framework for how existence functions or, you know, what goes on. I kind of went from this structure that I lived inside of for 18 years to nothing and stepped into the abyss alone. And yeah, it was, it was a, an intense choice looking back, but 
Yeah. <laughs> a lot. Pretty amazing. Yeah. I, you know, I grew up, um, I mean, like you heard in my, my, uh, intro there, um, for this podcast, I sort of grew up with all of this woo stuff and nothing was, um, surprising or shocking to me in that manner, which, you know, recognizing my earth personality and then my galactic personality and how those jive, it makes sense to me why everything happened the way it did. But Mm -hmm. I think that people like you who, you know, and Jessa from Soberish and people who grew up in that, that religious structure and, and not that I'm, I don't, I don't think you are either. None of us are condemning religion. It's just, Mm -hmm. Once you start to become aware of what Christ consciousness truly is, it's very difficult to um, deal with the incongruence of how religion is practiced and how, you know, that is applied. But just going from that to suddenly, okay, I know that's not the right thing. And now with no support really of any kind other than myself (laughs) I'm going to try to find out what is the right thing for me and I just think that is so courageous it's something a courageous foolish (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah I mean the the net effect I think is pretty powerful and I agree I like I think it's courageous and you know, stepping into that part of myself, I think there's so much childish um, naivete in that as well. You know, like I knew that I didn't want what I have. So I just turned my back on it. That was the, that was the movement that I knew. And what's blossomed out of that is beautiful and it's such a simple movement to make like there were other directions to take that but that was what I chose and what I needed um yeah and I really I really am grateful to that the wisdom of that foolish courage of my of my younger (laughs) self (laughs) That sounds fascinating. So the thought that occurred to me when you were talking about your fascination with viruses and obviously, you know, the synchronicities with 2020 and I find the expression hindsight is 2020 so amusing right now Mm. because (laughs) many of us and, and, you know, and then a lot of totally new to this uh, people, uh, So many humans are either looking back at their lives and like piecing together all the the clues that they were following that they didn't even know, or they're just waking up to things. And hindsight is literally (laughs) the year 2020 at this point. Um, But uh, yeah, I am just, I'm fascinated with that. And I know uh, what, if you were here in 1904, then you probably experienced uh, the Spanish flu epidemic as a mm, child I and probably that, did yeah I mean in whatever you know incarnation you had at the time and um perhaps that was kind of part of that for you and and it was tapping you into uh that that through line so that you could um awaken more so what happened after you turned your back on well I shouldn't say it that way but when you turned away from organized religion um what came next for you yeah I I just want to step back for just a second and and say that when I say um the piece about it feeling foolish I'm referring to like the energy of the fool in the tarot the choice to initiate Uh, a a new spiral not not in a you know, demeaning or diminishing way at all, but, uh, uh gotcha. okay, yep. I'm going to do this and it might be sloppy and <laughs> here we go. I'm um, dying off this cliff. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So after I left, I spent about six months. It was right after I graduated high school, I was living at my parents' house and I spent six months 
kind of in the depths. I was working at a job and um, all of my friends had gone to college or the ones I still had in town were in school. So I, I couldn't spend time with them. And I was really very alone. And looking back, I realized that I was having panic attacks on almost a nightly basis, um, mm. not knowing, really just sinking into this space. And out of that, I was depressed. Um, and I was living in that space, this very dull um, embodiment for, mm -hmm. I want to say, a year and a half after that. And then I went out to California to visit a friend of mine. And on my first visit to the Pacific Ocean, she gifted me some uh, psychedelic mushrooms. And uh. that she told me that you have to stop taking your antidepressants. So I'd stop taking them. And that that choice to stop taking antidepressants and step into relationship with that medicine was the last time I've taken an antidepressant into my body. That's just how it happened to work for me. And um, so I was there at the ocean and all of a sudden it was like this film had lifted over my eyes and I could see things, but overwhelmingly, I just felt connected at the heart to everything. I felt mm -hmm. this profound love for everything. And I felt so profoundly loved in the pieces of me I couldn't even see. Um, and that set me on a new spiral entirely. So that energy of clarity and open-heartedness really stayed with me for probably five years after that initial experience um, and really colored the choices that I made, <laughs> really colored the choices that I made after that. So since I was a child, um, when I was growing up in the church, people would come and visit and, you know, show these trips that they'd taken, mission trips to Africa. And mm -hmm. I would see pictures and I'm like, these people are my friends. Like I would look at the people at church and be like, these are people that I'm here with. <laughs> and I would look <laughs> at the, the people, uh, you know, like the images specifically of, of children in mm -hmm. um, like Malawi. And I would look in their eyes and I'm like, these people are my friends. I want to be friends with these people. That's important to me. And so from the time I was really young, that was something that I knew I wanted to do. And I also started working with kids when I was 10. I started babysitting when I was 10 and came from a large family and did that all the way through. So I knew that I didn't want to go to Africa on a mission trip because that was not something that resonated with me. I wasn't interested in in the religious part at all i was interested right. in responding to a direct ask and and being of service in the way i was being asked to be of service by who was asking so after a few years of searching um i found an organization that was non-religious that hooked people up with um, organizations all over the world who were asking for help. Um, and so I ended up going to Ghana and worked for this organization there. Um, and I worked for them on and off for three years, um, spending a total of six months there, I think, over that period of time. And that was a very a deeply informative thing for me the most difficult of which was the return home to the United States each time. That uh, was like, I bet. it was like death. Mm -hmm. And I felt totally alone because the way that the people around me were speaking to me was, ah, you're doing this great thing in this place. And I'm like, I'm really not. 
that's not why I'm there. That's not what mm -hmm. I'm doing. I like, yes, that is the energy that brought me here. But because I stepped into something that I don't know where, you know, the people around me are fluent in 15 languages I'm not fluent in, I have to sit and observe the energy. And, uh. and in doing that, um, I realized that the whole idea of me being there to help was a sham, you know? And right. I started, <laughs> I started, I, I'm like, these people, these kids don't need me, but they mm -hmm. know how to give these people who are here, quote, helping jobs that make them feel like they're meaningful. And mm -hmm. really what I saw was that there was a, a need for reallocation of money. And there was this theater that was being played out in order for people to get what they needed. But I'm like, but the, the, the way this community is stitched together is so much richer than where I live. This mm -hmm. is, it's alive moment to moment, day to day. People know what's going on and they're paying attention. And like that currency was, it changed the way that I saw everything because I think I, I knew that that existed on earth, but I hadn't mm -hmm. experienced it. Um, so that's beautiful. Sorry. No, I was just going to say that's beautiful. Uh, keep going. <laughs> um, so on my third or my fourth trip there, I believe third or fourth, eh, third on my third trip there, I uh, went dancing with a friend of mine and we were at this, this place out by the beach um, and I'd gone out to get something to eat and came back in and my friend was sitting next to this person. And when I saw him, I was like, oh yeah, I know him. And mm -hmm. There was this light around him that, again, looking back, I'm like, there was no light around him that wasn't around anybody else. We were sitting under <laughs> one single light bulb, one light bulb that was in the middle. So he was on the edge. It doesn't make sense. That was not a 3D thing. That was different. So there was this immediate recognition. And um, we ended up sh just sharing some really some great laughs that evening that that kind of introduced me to a different kind of humor that it's difficult for me to describe um it was mm -hmm. really non-contrived um and so this person um named Ivans he and I he came to the town where I was living this, I met him three days before I left. And so he came to the town where I was working and he just walked through the town with me playing his little wooden flute. He'd seen, he'd seen on my Facebook <laughs> that I love to wear scarves. Mm -hmm. So he went and bought two scarves in the market and showed up to my town with two winter scarves. It was like 95 degrees. And I was like, listen, man, thank you. And I can't even look at you in that thing. That's the, I like, how? I can't even breathe out here. So we're like walking through town. He's playing his little wooden flute as I'm like running errands to the bank and stuff like that. And it was really lovely. You know, I felt this connection with him and then I left and we'd exchanged numbers before I left and I just didn't really think about him. Um, and so after I, I left, uh, a few months later, I was just sitting around and I was like, hmm, you know, I wonder what Yvonne is doing today. And right that moment, my phone rang and it was Yvonne's. And he <laughs> said, oh, I just wanted to let you know what I'm doing. It's this. And my brain was like, what? <laughs> I mean, okay, that's fine. So, you know, we had a little chat and hung up the phone. 
that happened about 30 more times over the next six months where <laughs> I would think something specific. You know, I wonder what Yvonne's is eating today as I was preparing my own meal and he would call. And the first thing mm-hmm. that he would say is the answer to the question I was asking before he'd say hello. He'd, he'd say, oh, I, I'm eating fufu on the beach. Hello, <laughs> how are you? And this whole time, you know, I was living my life. I was living with roommates and I was trying to describe what was happening, but I had no, you know, I had no context to describe what was happening. Wow. (laughs) So that relationship carried on at a distance for some time. And there's a, there's so much more to that, but Mm -hmm. um, that was like, a twin flame relationship that I was brought into that was my awakening into my own um, magic. I guess. Yes, it sounds yeah. like it. That, that's wonderful. And just real quick, I happened to notice on the recorder that when you first mentioned uh, Yvonne and him calling you, we were at 2222. <laughs> 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 so nice. continue. What a, that's, So I love those synchronicities and I love hearing about the uh, relationships and experiences that come in people's paths to help them discover who they really are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, what a gift, Uh, what a, you know, thinking back, looking back, I just have to bow to that because I, there's, I couldn't be who I am right now without that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so that carried on in one iteration or another for quite some time, um, a number of years at a distance. And there was a lot that came up. And through that, I started to get really clear messages that were telling me to do things that my conscious mind was like, that is crazy. You cannot (laughs) do that. But then my, my body was like, I have to my light body, my soul. And I think being in that place of that split between, you know, light body, soul and mind was really mm-hmm. my awakening to how um, separately those pieces of me were operating from one another. And that started me. So I was told that I should pick up my things and move to Ghana and live with this person and um, have a child with them. That mm-hmm. was that was like clear as day. I'm like, I have spent five hours with this person in 3D. That makes no sense. <laughs> You're like, this, they, live, <laughs> they live 6,000 miles away. We hardly have a shared language. Um, this makes no sense. I have no money. I have a dog that can't come with me. Like what? No, I can't. But I felt so pulled there. And ultimately that summer, I made the decision not to go. And that was a huge loss. It was the loss of this timeline that I had been having delivered to me. Um, I mean, it was such a visceral experience of possibility. I was like inhabiting multiple dimensions at once. Um, you know, I would have this experience. I was working at a restaurant at the time and I'd be like walking through this fancy Italian restaurant from my table to the kitchen. And I would be walking on the red dirt toward the mountain, um, in the town that I lived in. And I could feel and smell and taste and hear both places at the same time. And, and so that fall after I decided I wasn't going to do, wasn't going to um, go, I still had been broken open by this experience. And a friend of mine came to me and he said, you know, I think I've been using rocks to talk to. 
and I think maybe you'd like some. So he gave me some tumbled stones that were um, one for the color of each chakra, which was mm-hmm. all new to me. So I started meditating with those and I'd play with my neighbor friend and we'd take a stone and listen to it. And then we would pour our energy into it and then trade and use them like walkie talkies while sitting in the same space. And oh, how cool. Yeah, that was really fun. And so I was doing that for a while. And then this is where it links back to the stone story. (laughs) We were doing that for a while. And then one day I remembered that when I was a kid, my family and I spent, we went camping all the time, but Um, we would go up to Lake Superior and there was this uh, river that ran into it where when I was probably 15 years old, I picked up um, a handful of stones that were perfect skipping stones. And I'd never skip them because I'm terrible at skipping rocks, but I put them in a plastic (laughs) bag. (laughs) I put them in a plastic bag and I knew that they were somewhere in the house. So I came, o- I came home from um, playing with those stones one day, the ones my friend did gifted me, and I could like feel this collection of stones speaking to me in the house. I went downstairs, I opened one of the many bins that's down there and r- I found them first try. I found where these stones were that I hadn't touched in 10 years. Oh, that's and fantastic. So- Yeah, it was really something. And I laid them out and I started to feel them as opposed to these ones that had been given to me by my friend. And as soon as I picked one of them up, I could see through the eyes of the stone. I saw me as a human reaching down into the shallow water and picking it up. And that I was like, stones have eyes? Is this a thing? I guess it is because (laughs) this is what's happening. And so that was kind of the introduction to me of where I put my sentience and the unwrapping, unraveling of all of the beliefs that needed to be unwrapped to fully embody what, you know, the portal that that experience was into self-recognition has been a five-ish year process. But now I'm in a place Mm -hmm. where I, I feel clear on that. Um, yeah, <laughs> there's so that much more to say. I like, I've just been sitting here, you know, with that big childlike grin on my face, absorbing every, uh, morsel and pearl that is dropping from your mouth right now, because <laughs> it is just a beautiful story and life path so far. And, uh, absolutely fascinating. Um, uh, and so many of the things that you've mentioned are very useful tools to other people who are maybe um, awakening. Like mm. if you do feel drawn to crystals or river stones or whatever it is, uh, like the walkie-talkie exercise and some of those things um, can be very helpful for people who are trying to tap into that. But that is just so beautiful. And um so uh, you are working on your website, I know. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that we had kind of talked about in Soberish was how uh, you had asked the question to the group um, about how to kind of structure our lives and if what routines or maybe practices people are getting into as we try to... Um, you know, create this new world <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and a new kind of um, more energetically balanced um, economy of mm-hmm. exchange, our, our individual, uh, the, the things that we've, um, you know, are, are more masterful at and can help others with. Mm-hmm. Um, so, when when you asked that question was it more in relation to like uh you know how do I start each day and what do I do every day or was it more of a broader sort of question both (laughs) both both and more (laughs) I think um 
Yeah, I, like in terms of starting the day, I, I feel like I have lots of contrasting. Are they really though? But they feel contrasting um, impulses as far as how to operate. I like that, but I also like being up in the morning, but I can't get up at five if I stay up till five. So what am I supposed to <laughs> I feel that so hard. I am <laughs> being called out and seen right now. I, you know, I had realization I had not too long ago that part of the reason I, you know, I feel um, more clear at night sometimes, or even, you know, early in the morning is because the general population in my vicinity are asleep. And so I don't have yeah. as much interference running. Yeah. Uh, it definitely is more of a challenge, I think, to like it, it, for light workers, people who do readings and those types of things. Um, it's you really need to um, be constantly balancing your energy and keeping your uh personal um auric field really uh, you know clean and aligned and everything because you're trying to work while all these people are yelling at you right <laughs> it's like the cosmic equivalent of us trying to um function in like uh, a verizon customer support call center <laughs> right all these people around yeah. you yelling <laughs> yeah well, and they don't know they're yelling at you. Exactly. Like they're yelling around. They they're yelling around you. So it's like, okay, yeah. what do I? What can I do in this space? That's not, you know, like I prefer to be present with what's present. Mm -hmm. But if what's present isn't even conscious, and you know, also if I don't have energetic permission to like step into that, I'm not going to meddle with people's energetic stuff unless right. I'm a, you know, on a like expansive soul, higher self, however you want to frame it level, there's permission to do that. And I find with humans engaging, especially unconsciously with routines, there's not, it's really difficult to get permission. Um, and so I prefer to interact with the things that are behind that and bigger, bigger energetically um, than like an individual human thought stream and right. yeah it's hard to, it's, I get it's hard to get there yeah it's kind of it like being be. at a at a national park when there's like thousands of people there it's like well I'm yes. here for the land yes exactly I I feel that because it's not it's not as though I'm like right now I'm aware of you know all my neighbor's thoughts and all their conversations and I'm hearing every little thing but it's like it's just kind of like this buzzing like a hive of yeah. bees that's sort of like yeah. swirling around and I have to make a conscious effort and nature thankfully does allow us to uh, ground ourselves a little more in that way mm -hmm. which helps but but yeah it can be really hard to just quiet the noise yeah yeah, I agree. And so going back to the, the routine, you know, putting, putting the, when, when the heck do I sleep aside, <laughs> if I'm going <laughs> right. to, if, if I'm going to be, because I love sleeping, but you know, I'd like to be doing it not too much and enough. Um, and it's, it's difficult to figure out what that routine is when you're living in this context where people get up in the morning and they go to sleep, that's, mm -hmm. I'm clear that that's not my rhythm, but it's difficult to play around and discover what that is since changing the rhythm of your sleep is something that takes a lot of effort anyway, kind of, um, or intentionality. Yeah. And yeah. then there's other yeah. um, patterns kind of clicking around you that makes it even more so. But so then within you know, as, as these cosmic beings that we are here kind of grounding and seeding this new world to blossom, how do we operate inside of these systems that are still moving forward because people are at different stages and, you know, we're not going to say stop moving so that I can do what I want to do. So <laughs> yeah. how do we... 
I mean, we could, but right? that's not really that's not really the game. And sometimes no. that is the game, you know. If that's mm -hmm. what we need to do for our own sanity, then so be it in the moment. But ultimately, for myself, that's not what I want to do. I want to be able to do what I'm doing in a way that's non-harming to the people around me and also non-harming to myself. And mm -hmm. um, it's not so simple as grabbing a plan off the internet that says you should wake up at this time and eat breakfast now right. and these kinds of things. It's, it's just not that. It's so individual. Yeah, I, I really feel that. Yeah, and I really struggle with that. I... Like I have no schedule in my day. Mm -hmm. I ever, ever since I left the church and the structure there of doing a thing once a week, I don't do anything like that. Um, I've started taking classes recently, a few classes, but um, otherwise I, my days are open. So I have a lot of space to navigate around and I have a really difficult time doing that and I end up doing things like you know watching things on Netflix or hanging out on Facebook in the soberish community which is wonderful and I would like to be able to cultivate a structure where in my day-to-day -day, kind of as a like a monastic but like a Jain monastery where the sure. things that I'm doing are structured in a way where there's space for me to do what I want, but I, I, but also that it's not rigid, it's flexible and can be accommodating and can change. And I don't know how to do that. It like right. boggles my mind. <clears throat> I, as you're talking, I'm thinking, cause I'm kind of in a similar position for a bunch of different reasons, but um, I find myself at this point in my life with uh, fairly free and wide open. I do have some uh, responsibilities and obligations, but I mean, it is, you know, it's like maybe a couple of appointments a week that I might need to take my sure. kids or my mom to, or that I have to go to. Sure. But for the most part, I'm kind of freewheeling it also. <laughs> so, but one of the things that I've personally been uh, trying to do is um, give myself permission to not be perfect. Um, mm -hmm. uh, the earth existence is so focused on that, especially our current place in society and then, then um, social media tends to uh, reinforce all of that need for perfection and some of it is it's not like it's I'm not saying it's malevolent but you know there's a lot of light worker stuff out there where it's like okay wake up 6 a.m drink your lemon water um, right. meditate for half an hour take a bath with your crystals right. you know and, and that's wonderful <laughs> for people who thrive yeah. with that sort of a regimented um you know, like you're yeah. saying, <laughs> we all need to find our own monastery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind well, of design I... our monastic life. And for me, that seems yeah. to be where sometimes I really need to sleep, like primarily yeah. sleep and be unconscious for 36 hours. <laughs> yeah. And and then I might only need like five hours sleep the next four nights. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's I love sleeping and dreaming. I've long had an affinity with that. And that's actually one of the things that I use when I don't know what else to do. I'm like, cool, well, I'll just go dream. I'll go do things there. I'm like, yeah, mm -hmm. I think my body wants other things to do. But yeah, but I'm not motivated by just going running, even though I'd like to run. I'm like, but I need there to be a reason for running. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not, you know, or, or a place, a connection with the land that I'm running on or something for it to be more intentional than simply, um, I'm running because I'm not sleeping. Right. That, right. That, that setup doesn't really work for me. I, I think too, that you got that like list, that mm -hmm. list, like the take a bath with your crystals, I, which I love, but I think that that's a really, really beautiful tool for people who are, um, who have been operating inside like a corporate structure. Yes. That substituting in different um, 
different things to do in a reflective structure is really great. And yeah, I have not lived inside that structure. So for me, it, it feels really inorganic. Um, you know, and it's like it makes br- much sense to me what you're saying. Because I kind of had both experiences. Like I totally did the corporate culture thing. And thinking about it now, um, when I left that was kind of when I went through a period for a while where I was, you know, on a more programmed daily, uh, you know, ritual for um, mm-hmm. and keeping myself aligned and all of that. And, and sure. so that's interesting because that is, I can see where I made that transition over a period of years, really. Um from needing that more structured thing to to what I have now, which is just um, kind of like my own weird, um, you know, Andrea Monastery, which is like uh, <laughs> Wonka, and <laughs> we just we are enjoying all of the things that the planet has to offer. And I don't know yeah. if you found this is one of the things we were talking about was kind of having our consciousness existing more spread out amongst the higher dimensional planes kind of all at the same time but Mm -hmm. I feel like as I've tapped into that that I have this new it's I don't even like to call it an ability um, or even manifestation for that matter because that almost I don't know it implies like a sort of control that I don't think is it's not the way we look at that on earth is a little different. You know what I mean? <clears throat> but, yeah, um, but the, the expression and relationship with earthly things has become such that I, um, like I set, I decide how things are going to affect me, um, mm-hmm. instead of being subject to some sort of, uh, 3d rules about, you know, how eating a piece of cake or watching Netflix or whatever yes. it is I'm doing is going to yes. affect me. Um, but before we go on and I keep letting you spout your amazing wisdom here, um, I wanted to just mention before I forget about it, you talked about running and having a purpose. Um, I listened to uh, AOE. She's Angel on Earth on Instagram, and she's also in the Soberish group. But she was just talking in one of her um, episodes about using nature as a biofeedback tool for mm. tapping into your own um, connection. And I thought that was really fascinating because it was like she was talking about um, <clears throat> kind of going for a walk uh, with purpose so that um, you are kind of, and I, and I think you probably do this automatically. I kind of feel this way now too, where everything outdoors always looks shimmery and magical <laughs> and kind of mm. psychedelic now, but, mm-hmm. um, but she was talking about, uh, on her journey about how she would notice if she started, you know, focusing on her mental to-do list or whatever else besides just the beauty of nature around her and walking and connecting with that energy. uh, Like she would stop hearing the birds, the wind would stop, (laughs) like everything Mm. would just sort of stop. And then when she reconnected, you know, when she went, oh, my my thoughts have strayed and I want to be in this higher vibrational place right now, then suddenly the birds are chirping, the wind is, you know, there's a breeze blowing. And um, I just was moved to pop that out there. <laughs> yeah, I really like that. Yeah, I, I like thought that a lot. I thought that was beautiful, too. Um, so tell me about the mythology for a new age. Um, if you can, if there's kind of like a framework you're working with or idea you could share, because that sounds fashion to me. So my website uh, is called Moonbug Mythos. And that I've kind of been undulating and living into that. So (sighs) 
over the last year, I've been integrating ideas that I think I've been kind of collecting in my orbit. And actually, I've just entered what I'm calling my holy week, because it is the week leading up to a really significant, like metaphysical death and rebirth that I experienced last year on October 11th. And, um, and at that point, all of these things kind of like big things that I'd been testing out in my brain and my body, all of a sudden, everything that I trusted, I integrated mm-hmm. and landed in this new embodiment. And over the last year, I've really been coming to a very different experience in my body. Mm-hmm. So I used to I used to dissociate often, like 200 plus times a day. And now I feel fully in my body. But as I'm in my body, I feel less on earth than I ever have before. I am like, so relatable. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Oh, I love that. Oh, I'd love to hear more about your experience with that. I, you know, and I almost think we all have different views of our personal you know earth incarnation this time around sure yeah. traumas and sure. things but I had some uh, which uh, I don't I don't think I've gone into it very much I will at some point because I think it's relevant but I also don't want to like um oh aggrandize it and like re-traumatize yeah. myself and others you know what I mean I'm kind of like, I'm past that. And, and if that's where people are, there's, that's an important phase and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I just know that that's not my purpose right now. Um, But I had such early intense trauma that Mm. it sort of taught me disassociation. And then um, I think as I was going through the 3d experiences I needed to have, and even though I was, you know, intellectually aware of all of these aspects of uh, the universe and that there was more than just this earth experience. I knew Mm -hmm. that I needed to be grounded in, in kind of, doing the work of that like going Mm -hmm. through the cycle and just being kind of like a generator and um, in the meantime all most of my galactic work was all done uh, in my sleep and with uh, sleep training and most of it was um, you know just I went to sleep I went and did my stuff and then I came back and so it was really like I was literally disassociated, you know, it was like I was living two existences at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I would be, um, you know, in my 3D life, I would disassociate regularly, like you said, like that I disassociated 200 times a day, like I can completely relate to that. And mm-hmm. I, I think now, what I realize is that probably a lot of those moments were, um, kind of like my higher self coming in and going oh okay wait I need to take over this for a minute and so the earth me that wasn't connected with the higher me was sort of going into autopilot and letting you know the the boss of me which is me (laughs) um tell me what to do (laughs) because (laughs) the me here was about to screw it up somehow or it was an experience of um maybe distress that I didn't need to personally process down here. But, but that feeling uh, that you described of, of now having integrated into your body and up through the dimensional um, ladders and out into your auric field. So that like, um, even though I am for the first time in my entire life, really, never disassociated um and and i say never loosely because obviously we are having a human experience and occasionally there will be something that is so deeply you know triggers a wound that i need to deal with and i do disassociate um but for the most part i'm in my body but i have more of me not on earth than ever before (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, So I'm curious in that for you, um, like, 
I guess I'll just say what it's like for me. And I'm curious if this resonates with you as well. Okay. So when I was dissociating so often in a day, you know, uh, I was in a relationship that was extremely important for healing my trauma. Like I spent the last four years doing that and it was very important and led me to the healing of that through seeking the, the kind of therapy that I needed and things like that. And in the middle of that, when I was dissociating and, and feeling triggered often, I mean, I could have a conversation with my partner and they would reflect to me what I'd said and I wouldn't remember it seconds later. And so there would be huge swaths of time that were missing for me. And now I feel like I couldn't tell you, I, I could tell you one thing I did yesterday, but it, it's not because I didn't experience it. It's because I'm experiencing it in such a zoomed out, zoomed in way that the context that it lives in is like, yeah, that individual experience isn't so important as how it changes the flavor of like the bigger, the bigger picture. So yes, there's a, there's a resonance between those two experiences, but they are very, very different. It's not missing. And I wasn't not there for it. It's just integrated into a much bigger space. Yes. That that also uh, vibes with me. I I feel um, it's weird. It's like you know we think of disassociation in a three D sense as um, you know leaving our body, as uh, taking ourselves out of the moment, and kind of being on autopilot and all of that. Mm-hmm. But, um, but um, oddly, uh, being in our body. <laughs> creates a different kind of um it's not a disassociation it's like you're saying it's like uh and and I even I even have spatial uh experiences in the 3D reality that sort of validate this feeling but it's like um I'm bigger than I used like I have awareness of how how expansive the entirety of me is and that yes, I have same. the ability to, um, like my, let's say it, you know, I try to put these things into earth terms because I find like it really helps people who were like me and were probably more science-based at one point to understand these things. But, um, my, my default setting, let's say my thermostat for my Merkaba, my Taurus, whatever you want to call it. I call it my rose quartz um, pink bubble because I'm just, you know, uh, cartoony like that. But <laughs> um, is it like my default setting is about the acre that covers, you know, the lot which my house is on. Sure. And then what I have been working with and what I have been consciously aware of when I'm awake, uh, I didn't like, I knew I was doing this in my sleep because I had memories of it when I was very little. Like I talked about uh, sure. on my last episode about the astral nodding. Um, but I have been consciously able to expand that field out larger and larger and larger. And when I'm, when I'm in an, um, a sleep state and doing that, I feel like I can literally just hold the entire planet in this big energetic Mm -hmm. hug. And so when I'm existing tapped into that kind of all the time, all these little things I'm doing on earth just don't, it's not that they're not important. It's just that I see them as the tiny specks of existence that they are. And I feel like I am, truly living multiple uh life experiences at the same time like there's different um timelines that I'm on and I'm slowly merging them all in into one cohesive um existence in order to help the planet do the same thing but like I'll have these experiences where I'll get up in the morning and I'm like okay I have to get dressed to go out and I'm putting on my shoes and I'll I'll look down at my feet and I feel like I'm in Alice in Wonderland or something because my mm-hmm. feet look tiny to me. And I mean, mm-hmm. I'm a, you know, my earth body tends to be a little more gnome-like and, and um, 
uh, you know, love goddessy and I'm round and I'm, I've, I've never felt like a tiny person, you know, mm-hmm. but I feel like I'm looking at my feet from like five or six feet higher than my actual stature. <laughs> And my, my body just feels tiny in comparison with the entirety of my auric field, I guess, is, Mm. is where it goes, but. Well, galactic groovers, that was part one and come back soon for part two. I'm going to take you out with Blackbird, a friend of mine from Italy that I sing with online. He's playing classical guitar. He was a tribute to a friend he lost when Italy was having their really difficult uh, COVID spike. So um, this was for a friend of his that passed on. Uh, And, you know, I think we're all flying. We're all trying to take flight, aren't we? I believe the Beatles wrote this <clears throat> around the civil rights movement. Um, so there's that too. But uh, I love you all. And I can't wait to um, see what you thought of this interview and for you to hear part two. Much, much more to come. Una canzone per un'amica che è andata via. Blackbirds in the dead of night Take these broken wings and learn to fly All your life You're only waiting for this moment to arise Blackbirds in the dead of Sunken eyes and learn to see all your life. You are only waiting for this moment to be free. Blackbird, fly. Blackbird, fly. Into the light of the dark black night. Peace.